What is up? What is crackalackin'? What it do? Hardware Knox listeners, I am Dan Valley coming at you with another one question episode. Before we get to the question, just that very quick reminder to please subscribe to us wherever you're consuming. This is on YouTube. Please hit the like button, subscribe, comment, help the algorithm love us back. The subscriptions mean a ton. So YouTube, hit the subscription button. If this is your first time checking us out via podcast form, please consider throwing us that permanent subscription. We cover the entire league at large. I do a thorough job of it, at least try to, and I will forever take this podcast um, unseriously, unless it really calls for it. But we have good times around here. Join our Discord. The link is in the podcast description as well as the YouTube description. All of our socials are also in the podcast and YouTube description descriptions as well. So please check us out there. And now we can dive into this question. The one that I'm really sorting, hanging on lately, uh, what is Colin Sexton worth? Is he underrated? How much is he worth to the Cavaliers? What is going to be the end result of restricted free agency for him? Um, I feel like we, I, look, he's coming back from a torn meniscus in his left knee, had surgery on that. If you're the Cavs, I get being concerned about where he fits into your team. You have Karis LeVert. You also saw that you really did miss the type of offense that he brings during the playoffs. And so I'm puzzled by that report from Chris Fedor. They've essentially offered a three-year, $40 million deal. I don't know if that is more indicative of how they view his fit, how they view him just value his value as a player overall. Is it hedging against the injury? If he's going to sign for that little, uh, he should probably try and get it to be shorter term, one plus one or a two plus one, so he can hit free agency again after rebooting his value. Uh, we're talking about someone who just missed most of his age 23 season. He's not old by any stretch. Uh, maybe you even just sign your qualifying offer at this point and bet on yourself. There's still time. There's the Pacers, the Spurs. They have cap space. They could throw him an offer sheet. Uh, you could also work out sign and trades. Base your compensation makes it difficult. It's not impossible. But the central focus here is should is Sexton getting a raw deal? I know you can say that the market is whatever – uh, your market value is whatever the actual market is willing to pay for you. Okay, fine. And cap space dry up relatively quickly because it didn't even really exist around free agents, uh, free agency this summer. Business is being held up by the Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell stuff. If the Spurs or Pacers were going to get in on the Sexton sweepstakes, you have to imagine that they would do so now. But it also probably speaks to how valuable Colin Sexton is to the Cavaliers that we haven't heard a bunch of sign and trade talks uh like the Cavs not being open to that and maybe they are more open to it but they're probably not because Karis LeVert he's a free agent after next year extension eligible right now and Sexton is important to the team and so you look at the criticisms of him and I've listened to some read some people are quick to say that he just can't be a lead guard okay fucking fine the Cavs don't need him to be a lead guard they never have really but they certainly don't need him to be one now Darius Garland's there. They brought Ricky Rubio back. And you also have the on-ball skills of Evan Mobley to plumb as well. Uh, you can look at Sexton's defense and say, okay, fine. Like, it could be better. Uh, he's made plays away from the ball. And I think he could still probably be pretty good on defender, on-ball defender, even though he is on the smaller side. I'm looking at his offense. And Zach Lowe has phrased it thusly. He might be the most undervalued or disrespected 24 points per game scorer in NBA history. I don't think that's hyperbole. And so when you go back to, and you could throw a lot of what happened in 21-22 out of the equation, but when you go back, look at his 2020-21 season in which he played 60 games, a good amount of 72. Yeah, that's fine. He averaged over 24 points, averaged just over four assists per game, and then shot 
50 plus percent on twos and 37 plus percent on threes. Here's the list of every single player to meet those benchmarks for an entire season before they turn 25. Jason Tatum in 2020-2021 also, ironically. Trey did it this past year. Kevin Durant did it in 2012-2013. Kyrie Irving did it in 2016-2017. That is it. That is the entire fucking list. And Sexton and Tatum were the two youngest players in league history to do it. I know the era is different when you look at the pace or when you look at the three ball. The names I just rattled off, though, they've all been since 2012-2013. We're not, like, defying eras here. I'm not saying he's on the same level as any of those players. Uh, every single one of the players I just listed is a better passer than Colin Sexton. Ironically, Joe Johnson did it in his age 25 season. So he just missed the cut. He's not a better passer than Colin Sexton. I do think, and I want to start with the passing. I, I do think like the passing qualms are overblown. There's tunnel vision on drives. I get it. He's not going to throw these super complicated passes, but I think he's gotten a lot better at, uh, the kickouts on drives and yeah, they're the frequency of those isn't necessarily up. Um, but the quality of those passes when he's finding three point shooters and you look at some of the Cavaliers most common three point shooters in 2021, Kevin Durant, Darius Garland, um, Torian Prince that season. Like these are all guys that shot better than 40% from three off passes from Colin Sexton. Dean Wade, uh, actually led the team in three point attempts off of Sexton passes that year shot 37.5% on them. Uh, and yes, some of the average I think has been when you look at that was dragged down just by like Jetty Osmond having a, a shit show of a shooting season then. Um, and then I Coro still sort of figuring it out. This is someone who causes defenses to react on drives and his passing. It's not the most central part of his game. I need to reemphasize that it doesn't need to be, he can be a secondary creator who is throwing the more than occasional kick out or even just drop off. And I think, you know, he has, we haven't seen a ton of it just yet, but I feel like he can have really good two-man chemistry with Jared Allen. And we've even sort of seen like the shuffle passes with him and, and Rubio on the court together. I look at his scoring though, that is an actual, like really important commodity. And he's not the from scratch scorer who's going to fire up these off the dribble jumpers and be super efficient. You can look at his pull-up percentages over the course of his career. Uh, they have not been great. In his rookie season, he hit 37.4% of his off-the-dribble threes. Very little volume there, though. He has never had an effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers higher than uh, 45. His, high, his career high is 44.8 in 2019-2020. Came close to matching that uh, in 2020-2021. That's like, he's had moments where he's hitting those in-between twos on those off-the-dribble jumpers, but you're not counting on him to do the you know, the James Harden step back, the Jason Tatum escape dribble three, even what Trey Young is able to do off the dribble. That's also fine. Um, he scores by himself in other ways, which says nothing of how valuable he is as someone who just fits in uh, to the larger context of your offense. And again, I'm willing to throw a lot of what we saw in 2021, 2022 out of the equation, new teammates around him. And it was an 11 game sample size. So I don't know how much to read into that. Uh, or excuse me, I do know, and it's just, I'm not going to read much into it. Um, but when he gets going downhill, he has like a bunch of just different moves he can use to counter what the defenses are giving him. He's gotten really good at like going right and then going back to his left. Um, he is getting really good at passing by guys by off of screens and finishing around the basket. We have seen his rim frequency go up 
over the past three years. He's been in the 83rd percentile or better in each of the past three seasons, including this last one, the caveat there, um, when it comes to the volume of his field goal attempts that are coming at the rim. And then in each of the past two years, there was that major jump. He shot 60 plus percent at the rim in 2021. Uh, he had another jump. He was shooting 38 of 53 at the rim this year, which is 72% before he was injured. Uh, they're real finishing there. Some of them are tough finishes, but I think he has more speed than people give him credit for in general. And mind you, a lot of this was coming with sub-optimal spacing uh, for the Cavs just in general. Like, yeah, there were certain lineups that where it really worked. What I also like that he did, and this speaks to, I think, why he can be so valuable, there's more plug-and-playness to his offense. And there's the shooting, which I, I mean, I'll get to in a minute, but I saw a little bit more in the, the minutes that he logged with Ricky Rubio, where the Cavs are having him set screens away from the ball for him to come up and then have a ball screen set for him. And he's able to go into these quicker actions and attack and Colin Sexton going downhill matters. His drives have been supremely high volume uh, since his rookie season. Really? You look at his efficiency on them. They've, they were not super high to start off, but this is what he's shooting on drives the past three seasons, including last year, 47.6%, 47.3% and 50%. That's like, yeah, his, his, pa his pass percentage has peaked around the 34 to 35% area. That's actually not bad, passing on one-third of your drives. His assist percentage was always on the lower end. Uh, I think that probably speaks more, yes, there's tunnel vision, but we also need to look at the quality of talent around him. Last year, he turned the ball over a bunch in those situations. Again, an 11-game sample size. Colin Sexton going downhill is absolutely a threat, and he even has like sort of this little floater-esque game, too. And that's more where he can get it off you know, whether he's coming from the side angle or he's going dead on at the basket, he can get it off over taller guys despite his size. And so that's been a big part of his scoring development too. And there's just a shiftiness to him once he gets in the lane. I think the past, even last year when he struggled, but looking back at 2021, he's done a much better job of just not picking up his dribble or bailing out too early. And that's opened up other decisions a lot of times for him as a scorer, but also as a passer. If that's your second or third best playmaker on the team, what is the problem? There's value there. And then I'm just going to go, like the shooting is, it's monstrous is, is the word to use for it. Here's what he's shooting on catch and shoot threes um, for his career. 44.3% as a rookie, 42.1% as a sophomore, 40.3% uh, in 2020, 2021. Then he was down to 23.3% last season. Again, 11 games. I am very much of the mind that you have that number is going to come up like 23.3% can't be the norm when you're basically at 42% or a little bit higher on catch and shoot threes for your career before that uh, last season, again, in the, uh, the 11 games, when you look at his catch and shoot touch in general, the only time he had an effective field goal percentage below 60 on those looks, that is so valuable when you're one on a team that still isn't chock full of great shooters or floor spacers in general, and then two, you want people who can play off of Karis LeVert now, Darius Garland, Ricky Rubio. That's why it makes so much sense to have Sexton come off the bench next to Rubio is they can play in tandem since Sexton's offensive game is more malleable. He might not have that same captaincy or oversight of the offense as a Darius Garland, as a Ricky Rubio. You might even prefer Karis LeVert as a passer. That's fine, but he does so many other things well on the offensive end, even independent of him being just this iffy, unspectacular pull-up shooter. And again, when you pick the floaters into that and some of his short mid-rangers, like there's something to plumb there. He's just not the traditional escape dribble, complicated handle, three-point shooter 
that's fine. We don't need all of these guys to, to be that. So, uh, you know, are you concerned about his decision-making out of the pick and roll? Like, that's fine. If you need to slow down your offense and he's the one that's always going to be run, running it, uh, he turned the ball over on 23.4% of his pick and rolls last season. That was a career-worst mark. Again, sample size is just so small. Do you need to care? He's never been super efficient scoring out of the pick and roll. Uh, Career-high effective field goal percentage out of pick and rolls was 476 came last year in 2021. Um, that's like, like, it, yes, he's a average to below average pick and roll player. That That's not the end of the world when he is, again, not the, the 1A for your offense. And this is someone who in the past two years, like he's done a great job upping his shooting foul percentage. It's above 12 in each of the past two years, 12%. And just to contextualize that, per cleaning the glass relative to his position, he's ranked in the 86th percentile or better of shooting foul frequency. Last year, we saw his free throw shooting really drop off. I think it was in the low 70s. That was a little bit weird. There's value there too. So this isn't someone who is just still bailing out too early, not passing at all, and not getting other opportunities at the foul line. Relative to the role that he's playing, he's actually getting there quite frequently, and he's upped his rim frequency progressively. Sort of hovered like, yeah, there might have been a medium, but the finishing the past two years, including last season, was a lot better. So why wouldn't you want him on your team? And... The injury, it matters. But if you're the Cavs, or I, Constance is worth more to you. That's just my point. Just the brass tax of it. You could say whatever you want about the market right now. I really feel like they're overplaying their hand and it could come back to bite them in the ass if they don't budge. They don't want to pay the luxury tax this season. We'll get it. Like that's just stupid in itself. Dan Gilbert is the second richest owner in the NBA. He's also the second richest owner per Forbes in net worth, uh, just in professional sports, by the way, at over $30 billion. So I'm not going to cry for him. Uh, and a prospective luxury tax bill, especially when, oh, you know, they did use the mini MLE, I guess, to bring back Ricky Rubio. Um, they were within close enough to the apron where you probably could have thought about using the entire MLE. And you wanted Rubio back, get it, could you have gotten a better player? Digressing here very hard. Uh, you can make other moves to get out of the tax, and Colin Sexton, to me, is worth that. Uh, you're not like, yes, Allen, love is even sort of entrenched, the salary so high. I think Jetty Osmond is important to your shooting, to your floor spacing. If you're that concerned about the tax, can you find someone to take him and save, let's say, $5 million of his $7.4 million salary and then make up the difference uh, with, like, in, in the Sexton salary? Like, even, you know, 40 over three years, we're talking about an average annual value of, like, 13 and change. So, like, bringing that up past 15, I think he's worth that. Even coming off the injury, if, if this is something they know more about his vitals, than, than we do, sure. I guess you can play your hand this way. But Colin Sexton probably had $20 million, I can say with like a fair amount of certainty, probably had $20 million or close to it per year on the table for him in extension talks. Him turning it down proves to be a mistake. Like if you're in the Cavs, this is someone who, even if it's like Dylan Windler, can you find someone to take on his $4 million salary? Like this is someone who's actually worth making room for on your roster to pay more. And you don't also know what's going to happen with Karis LeVert. So sort of roll the dice here and either what if Sexton signs his qualifying offer or you sign a short-term deal where he gets free agency in 23 or 24 and then you risk losing him there. You might be compelled to extend LeVert on a deal that you're not so comfortable with because you need another creator here. We saw it with them later in the season in the playing games. Like they need Colin Sexton. He is not your traditional self-creator if you're looking for guys who are going to get into the lane guys are going to hit those off the dribble jumpers in the lane or, or from beyond the arc, but he puts pressure, consistent, real pressure on defenses. He's actually a quality finisher. And if he's an average passer, fine. 
He's he doesn't need to be your premier player there. And so I really am. I guess I'm not floored. It's 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 the Cavs um, with Dan Gilbert, and they do have quite a bit to their credit, like wrapped up in Allen. Uh, and look, Dan Gilbert has paid players in the past, but we've also seen like extensions really drag out when you go back, harken back to Tristan Thompson with LeBron. And so this isn't like Cavs going to Cavs situation here. I just feel like they're misplaying the the hand. I would pay like even upping your offer to 16. I, I would pay comfortably. Yes. If you get in the $20 million range now coming off the injury, I get it. And now you've paid Garland, you've paid Allen. You're going to have to pay Mobley. You view them as your top three players. I get that too. Somewhere between 16 and 19 for Colin Sexton seems eminently reasonable. And if that gets him to sign even a three-year deal with no outs, it's totally worth it. And it doesn't break your bank uh, when you're looking at the salary cap that's rising. And so I think the Cavs should figure out a way to offer him more and duck the tax if that's what they need to do. They should be offering him more, in my opinion. I I would also finally wrap up with this. I would just advocate for a team trying to get in here and getting him base year compensation will be tough for anyone who's not the Pacers or the Spurs. I wouldn't hate it if the Pacers went after Colin Sexton. I know that they have Chris Duarte uh, and of course, Tyrese Halliburton. You can play Sexton and Halliburton together. And if you want to have Duarte at the three, you have Benedict Matherin as well. I just, I would try it. Like, especially if it's going to cost lower than 20 or in the twenties, like that's going to be a movable contract if you need to do it. And this is someone who is just, I won't say he's a universal fit, on offense, but I'll I'll use the word everybody drink. It's scalable what he does. You put that within any offense almost, and he's going to be able to make an impact. If you're expecting him to be your primary floor general, that's on you in the construct of your team. Efficient, actually efficient scores. That 2020-2021 season, even if you view it as an anomaly, that list, I would argue, does not happen by accident when you're dealing with the, the volume at which Sexton was playing and shooting. And look, newsflash, he... He is shooting, including last year, he's now shot over 50% on twos in each of the past three seasons. And he is a career 37.8% three-point shooter. Uh, last year's average is dragging him down at 24.4%. He has never averaged fewer than 16 points a game. Sometimes you need someone who can get buckets and be your tertiary creator. That is Colin Sexton. And this is not you know, an aging Jamal Crawford or Lou Williams situation. He is bringing more value than those guys. You don't even need to equate him to a Jordan Clarkson who's had sort of a career renaissance. Maybe he's a little bit friskier off the dribble. Gives you less rim pressure. Nowhere near as good of a passer. So I don't understand why the Cavs are messing around. If I'm the Pacers, I would look at it. If I'm the Mavericks, is there a trade package I can offer that's going to get Cleveland to bite? Um, base year compensation makes it tough, as does their unwillingness apparently to uh, go into the tax. Um, I like. I wouldn't even hate Sexton in Toronto. Their salary matching is tough there now. Um, you look at a team... Uh, like the other one that's bringing to mind for me would be Orlando. Like that's someone they could use with Suggs and Ben Caro there. Like, I don't know that Fultz or Hampton, um, like that's just, it's just iffy. You're, you you do not need Sexton to be your primary playmaker, but he's also probably a better playmaker than, than Hampton at this point. And you have Fultz, like I said, who's a very good passer. Now, even Wendell Carter Jr. Ben Carroll's passing is going to be absurd. That's a team. Can you get involved with the sign and trade? I believe Gary Harris can be immediately traded. And if I'm wrong, you build stuff around Terrence Ross. If not build stuff around the two of them. Someone go out there and pay Colin Sexton because I'm not saying this is someone who needs to get a max. Just some team pay him what he's actually worth, which is a lot more to me than borderline mid-level exception.